changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Good evening to all of my listeners tonight on 101.9 WAIN. Maybe you're listening on 1270 AM, or perhaps you've gone to 101.9WAIN.com and you are streaming live this radio program. Or perhaps you missed it all together live and you're catching it on my podcast, which will be uploaded on Thursday morning at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway. The name of my podcast is Walk This Way, and you can find it on Google, Spotify, iTunes. I upload this show every Thursday morning, as well as sermons that I preach as a senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. And so I would encourage you to find Walk This Way, not only so that you can find this show and past episodes, but maybe even some messages that you need to hear from God's Word that will encourage you and maybe even challenge you in your walk with God. Well, I'm delighted that you are here with me this evening. It is always a joy and a privilege for me to be able to host this show. I have had people in the past that I've interviewed on the show. I have shared lots of different content in the past of just things that I reflect on, things that are going on in the world. And this show, of course, tonight is is nothing new in that sense. I love finding stories of things that are going on in the world, maybe things that are coming up in the entertainment world or things that are going on in politics, things that are just happening around the world, or maybe even the way that people react to certain things, uh, certain protests that they may have or just certain feelings that they have about certain issues. And I just like to, to bring those to you and share those with you primarily to tell you what does the Bible say about all of these things. What does the Bible teach us about the world that we live in and how can we see events in the world and how can we shape our view of the world through the lens of Scripture? That's really the most important answer that we could ever walk away with from any issue, any question, any thing that frustrates us or whatever the case might be, how do I look at the at the world through the lens of the Bible? And so that's the reason why the name of the show is called What's the Word? In case you are a first-time listener and finding this radio program tonight. Well, as I promised, I've got lots of content for you and lots of different uh, issues that I want to bring up and some different thoughts and ideas for you uh, this evening. One of the the, the topics that I want to share with you are one of the, the stories, I guess, that uh, that came to my attention the other day. I saw while I was on Facebook, you know how people will post different articles and stories and things like that, and, and they do this on Twitter as well, and, you know, will post a article or maybe a video or a movie preview or something. I happened to see a movie preview and or the link of one shared about the new movie that's coming out about Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, of course, was on PBS from 1968 until 2001. And his long-running PBS program, of course, was designed for children. And it was one of those shows in 1968 when it came out that it, it moved very slow. It didn't have a fancy set. It was primarily Mr. Rogers. He would bring in some people from his neighborhood, the postman and police officers. And, you know, a lot of times he would bring children, sometimes with special needs, sometimes just dealing with issues. And, of course, there was make-believe land where, you know, you'd, take the trolley and you would ride the trolley into make-believe land with these puppets and all of this. And it, it was just, at the time that it came out, it was it was 
capturing the imagination of a lot of children, but the personality of Mr. Rogers and the way that he spoke to kids, the way that he kind of interacted with children, not only in the show, but through the the television screen lasted for generations. I mean, lasted for decades. And they even, it, I saw a, a news report or documentary, I guess, of the Mr. Rogers show that actually aired back in the early 2000s before he passed away. And they showed the, the television show to some small preschool kids. And, you know, even in the early 2000s and certainly today, kids shows are just drastically different. They're hot action, live, fast, lots of sounds, lots of lights, just moving around. And Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is is quite the opposite of that. But in the documentary they showed, these children were just enthralled by this program. I mean, they were locked in and did not miss a beat. They were interviewed afterwards, and these four- and five-year-olds were saying, yes, I'd watch that show again. Mr. Rogers seems so nice. And so Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, being that kind of show for so long, just really struck such a sweet chord with so many kids. Of course, when I was a kid and, and born in 1974, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, along with shows like Sesame Street and, you know, just some other, you know, public access PBS shows were just very popular. And, and kids just literally just grew up watching these things because that's what we had. And, and frankly, that was all that we had and we didn't know any different. And this particular trailer that I saw, the link that I saw, popped up on Twitter and Facebook, and and of course it's it's on YouTube. I, I honestly I resisted watching it for a while. I I saw that Tom Hanks was playing Mr. Rogers, which I was very thankful for that because Tom Hanks to me really seems to embody these characters that he plays, and and you kind of forget the fact you're watching a movie that it's Tom Hanks, the actor, and it and you really believe that he is this person. Uh, Forrest Gump is a great example to me of a Tom Hanks movie where you forget it's Tom Hanks and you really believe you're watching this guy named Forrest Gump. And so I, I sort of resisted it because growing up watching Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers being such an icon in human history as well as just in so many people's childhood, I just didn't want to watch it because I, I didn't want a movie to spoil what I had thought, believed, and come to love about Mr. Rogers. But finally yesterday, I, I just I repented. I watched the trailer. <laughs> I just I, I had to bring myself to see, okay, what is it going to be like? And the movie is about a journalist that is writing an article and writing a story about Mr. Rogers back when he was doing the show. And one of the short little clips of the 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 in the trailer from the movie that really I think spoke exactly the way I felt was the the journalist, the the guy who's gonna write the the story tells his wife, girlfriend, whomever that he's going to write this story, and her resigning comment to him is, you better not ruin my childhood. Meaning this better not be some kind of an expose of the underbelly life of Hollywood, and you see this person of Mr. Rogers on the screen, but he's really somebody different. And that's the way that I felt about this movie, thinking I just didn't want to spoil who I saw and knew and believed Mr. Rogers to be on television and some of the other documentary-type shows that I had seen about him and about his life. And the movie... Uh, trailer anyway, kind of has a little bit of that tension early on as if to say, you're going to find out this incredible secret about Mr. Rogers. But as the trailer goes on, your fears are subsided to see that what you see on screen with Mr. Rogers is the real deal. That's who he really is. And that's what I always believed because I had followed Mr. Rogers. I'd, I'd known about his, by the way, his first name is Fred, but everybody knows him as Mr. Rogers. But 
That's what I had come to know and believe about the man named Fred Rogers was that he was the real deal. And what you saw on television really is who he is. And so I started to not only watch the trailer, but I also watched a short documentary about him. I began to read a little bit more about the show. And because it's been, honestly, it's been years since I've seen Mr. Rogers at Neighborhood. And I don't even know that my own kids are that familiar with Mr. Rogers. I don't remember them watching a lot of his stuff, if any at all, uh, when they grew up, mainly because, you know, for one, I was in school and working. And so I'd, I don't remember if they watched a lot of it. But the other part of it is they had so many options. My kids had so many options growing up. And by that time, Mr. Rogers had either gone off the air or he sadly passed away in 2004 from cancer. But all of that being said, one, I guess, curious clip that I saw on YouTube, uh, it asked the question from the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It asked the question, do we need Mr. Rogers now more than ever? Now, this little clip, this eight-minute, 40-second clip was done in 2004, now, here we are in 2019, scaring 2020 in the face, and we are now almost two decades away from the time that Mr. Rogers went off the air in 2001. Do we need somebody like Mr. Rogers now more than ever? Let me tell you why we not only need Mr. Rogers on television and someone like him, but why the Bible speaks so clearly to people like him. In case you didn't know this, Mr. Rogers was a ordained Presbyterian minister. And Mr. Rogers is was the kind of guy who lived out what he really believed. He had strong opinions about things such as uh, in morality. He spoke on the show about issues like divorce. He spoke about racism. He spoke about equality. He spoke about uh, spoke to and and for on the behalf of children with special needs. He just had a special spot in his heart for the purity of growing up as a child and learning and growing and using your imagination. And he talked about how you, how you feel and sometimes we get sad and what we do about that and who we can talk to. There was, there's even a clip from the Mr. Rogers show back in 1968 when Robert Kennedy, the brother of, of John Kennedy, uh, who was shot as, as president in 1963, Robert Kennedy, who was a sen who, who was senator and was running for the presidency, was shot and killed in 1968. And there's a clip on YouTube in black and white from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood talking about what the word assassination means and how people are seeing these things, how children are bombarded with all of these scenes and this talk and the news and everything and then it cuts to Mr. Rogers just sitting on a bench, sitting on a couch, I believe, just talking as patiently and as passionately and compassionately to parents, helping them to help their children deal with issues like assassination. I thought when I saw that, and of course I wasn't born yet and, I, and, and certainly had not ever seen that clip before, but my appreciation for and admiration of someone like Fred Rogers in 1968, in his first year on the air, dealing with issues like that, my, my admiration for him just went through the roof. There's another clip in that eight-minute documentary from an ABC, I believe it's ABC 2020, back uh, years ago in 2004, there's a clip of Mr. Rogers in either the late 60s, probably uh, early 70s, sitting in his backyard with his shoes and socks off, his pants leg rolled up, and he's got his feet inside of a little kitty swimming pool, just a little like what you'd put a toddler in to sit in and splash around. And he's about to take water and spray it into the, the tub to cool his feet off. 
Well, an African-American police officer who is chief of police in this neighborhood came and asked Mr. Rogers what he's doing. And Mr. Rogers invites him to sit down and take a load off. And they just begin to talk. And he invites, Mr. Rogers invites the African-American chief of police to take his shoes and socks off, put his feet into the little tub and just to enjoy, you know, being cooled off and relaxing and, and a hot day. And that message sent a message of equality, but it also linked, in in Mr. Rogers' mind, it linked the passage of Scripture in the Bible when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples in the Gospel of John. And what Mr. Rogers was doing as as not only as a Presbyterian minister and as a Christian, but also as someone who believed in rights and equal value, and he, he believed in the value of human life and, and looked past things like skin color, he was demonstrating for people on his show that we are all the same, that, that God views us as his special creation. And beyond skin color or beyond languages or beyond physical differences, to the core, we are all human beings. And Mr. Rogers demonstrated that on his show in such a powerful and beautiful way. There's a clip of him talking to a young boy who his, his, he had a, a brain tumor, and it caused lots of physical deformities in his body. And so his arms are much smaller. His body is much smaller. You know, his head is probably a normal size for a child his age, but he's in a wheelchair. He's obviously not able to walk and just has some serious limitations. And Mr. Rogers is talking to this, to this little boy as though the little boy is just an, another average kid who came to his house for a conversation. Never really uh, draws that much attention, certainly no negative attention, to this young boy's deformities or anything like that. Speaks to him as, as a person, as somebody that he loves and values. And again, I go back to do we need, is what the documentary was asking, do we need more people like Mr. Rogers in our neighborhood? You know, what struck me, since the name of this show is What's the Word, what struck me are so many Bible verses, particularly in the New Testament, that teach us how to live among other people. I made a statement in a sermon a few weeks ago that my wife said, really made an impact on her. And it's it's obviously, or it's, it's uh, just to be honest, it's a statement that I heard many, many years ago that I have used a couple of times in sermons or Bible studies or whatever. But it's a quote that I heard many, many years ago that says, be someone who makes it easy for other people to believe in God. And the reason I share that particular quote is, as a Christian, our responsibility is to make it painfully obvious to people that don't know God personally and have never been born again, our responsibility is to make it painfully obvious that God exists and that he lives within us. And when I saw this documentary and I watched this trailer Obviously, I know Fred Rogers was not a perfect person, and I'm sure that he had his flaws, but the grace that he showed on and off the screen, the the manner in which he dealt with people, the way in which he believed in positive values and he had a Christ-centered life and he constantly just demonstrated grace and mercy and love and charity and life and faith and all of these things, we need more people, but frankly, we need more born-again Christians to live in such a way like Mr. Rogers that we make it easy for people to believe in God, that we demonstrate for the world that Jesus has made a difference in us in the way that we treat people, in the way that we talk about people, in the way that we talk to people, in the way that we deal with crisis in our life, the way that we feel about things even in politics or in in religious uh, 
you know, conversations or just in morality issues that we're really not trying as, as Christians to impress the world with our ability to look just as much like them as they do, and then at the same time trying to have a foot in heaven saying to them, but I also am a born-again child of God. Someone like Fred Rogers, you watch his life and you watch these stories unfold in front of you, and his manner of life had nothing to do with being worldly, with being self-serving, with being unkind or being judgmental. His life was lived to be a blessing to other people. And I would say to all Christians everywhere and any person who hears this this podcast or this radio show tonight, my encouragement to you is to make it easy for people to look at your life and see that God exists and that he lives in you. Be gracious, be kind, be the kind of person that that exudes the presence of God in your life. Be someone that when someone looks at your life, they know that the Holy Spirit of God has touched you. He lives in you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're walking by the word of God, and you want every person to know the same grace and mercy that you have come to know. And I just, I cannot wait to see the movie. I know that it is a movie. There are plenty of documentaries about Fred Rogers. In fact, I saw an interview or two with Mrs. Rogers and how she spoke of her husband and how in love she still is with the man, even though he has been gone now for 15 years. She speaks so endearingly about not only his way of life, but the love that she has for him. And the world in which we live We need more couples like that. We need more Christians like that. We need more churches that are filled with people like that. And we need an overwhelming wave of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness to sweep over not just the United States, not just our community, not just our city or our neighborhood, but over the world so that all people everywhere have an opportunity to come to know Jesus personally. So that was just my take on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Won't You Be My Neighbor and, you know, just like I said, the, the beauty of this this movie that's going to come out. And I, I hope that not only will people enjoy the movie, I, I'm not really endorsing the movie. What I'm doing is I'm in, endorsing the life of someone like Mr. Rogers. But I, I just hope and pray that when people see this Christian man's life on the big screen, that it really does teach people that there was something different about him, and he wasn't just different to be different. He was different because Jesus had stepped into his life and had radically changed him. You know, from time to time on the show, especially in the past, and when I first started the radio show this 35, 36 weeks ago, I I love to reflect on these lists. You know, I would find different lists that rank different things, and I sort of found one of sorts uh, online the other day that really didn't rank anything. It just listed several things that would make your life a little easier. It said 31 things that are under $10 that will make your life better in little ways. Now, I am not going to read all 31 of these because some of these you really need to see the picture to know what it is. And I don't want to take all the time tonight listing these things off. But the reason I want to share this with you is maybe some of these things will make your life easier. And you think, you know what, I really, I need to have that. You know, the first one they listed on this list were slow cooker liners. When you cook things like like bread, for example, uh, being able to clean your slow cooker and get down in those cracks and crevices and and clean it without putting the whole thing underwater can can really be quite a pain. And so that was a cheap way. They're $9.62, it said, uh, for two boxes of four liners. So, you know, if you use your slow cooker quite a bit, that's something that you can certainly... Uh, 
certainly invest in. Bamboo odor eliminators. Now, I have three teenagers right now, and of course my wife and I, and we have a lot of shoes in our house. And our dogs like to like to grab our shoes and take them all over the house and all that. But these bamboo odor eliminators, you know, with all of the shoes that we have in our house and three teenagers and all that, uh, if they work the way that this article is selling them and, and saying that this, you just can't live without this, uh, I, I think I'm going to have to invest in these. Now, they're nine ninety five. And I don't know, I guess you just get two, you know, one for each shoe. That would be quite an investment. But uh, I may have to look into that because I really think that could, that could really make a, a big difference in my house. A, a set of collapsible silicone straws, a carrying case, and cleaning brushes. Now, I know that California is on this kick of getting rid of plastic straws. Now, they've got their own issues and their own problems with all sorts of other things that they need to clean up. And why they decided to go with straws, I, I really don't understand. However, that's where they're at, and that's what they, they are claiming you know, the world needs less of is, is plastic straws. And so here you can get these collapsible silicone straws and you can clean them and all of that. You know, my thing, my take on this is if you're going to buy silicone straws and cleaning stuff and these brushes, chances are they're not going to last. And if using straws is that big of a deal for you, then then just wash your plastic ones. You know, just keep the plastic ones you get from McDonald's or Burger King or whatever and just clean those out. Uh, several things, you know, as well on the list. One, one lifesaver that I would tell you, especially if you're trying to get marks off the walls, if you have young kids, is magic erasers. If you've never used a magic eraser, you really don't know what you're missing. These things really are amazing. They get scratches off the wall. They get paint scuffs off the wall. They, uh, the, it's shown on this website that they clean up burnt grease, um, all kinds of cleaning issues. I'm telling you, I don't know that there is a surface that a magic eraser cannot clean up. And you get seven of them for $8.47. I am telling you, your life, you will thank me. And you might even send me $10 in the mail thanking me for telling you about this under $10 magic eraser. Uh, one that I saw on the list was a stormproof match kit. Um, I get it. You know, if you camp a lot or if you keep these in your house and your car these stormproof matches that they're going to light no matter what they get wet, whatever the case might be. I just wonder if you're not camping or living outside in a tent, you know, if you just occasionally, it seems to me like this would be one of those things on this list that you would buy because it's smart, but you would hardly if ever use. And I just don't know that that would even be worth the $6.07 to purchase this. Now, I will tell you, I found something on the list that I am going to purchase because this is a smart idea. A wrinkle-releasing spray from Downey. A wrinkle-releaser. You just spray it on your clothes, and apparently it releases the wrinkles. I think this is genius. I, I don't know why I've never heard of this before. If you know me at all, you know, I don't like wrinkles on anything. I, I don't like my wrink. I don't like my clothes wrinkled. I don't like my pants wrinkled, my shirt, whatever. I I'm just kind of a stickler for that. And I cannot believe that I did not know about this downy wrinkle releaser. Plus, I don't know plus what, but it's a odor eliminator and fabric releaser. I, I think this is amazing. My daughter has a wet brush. Uh, that's on the list. I, I don't understand why one brush would be better than another to comb through your wet long hair, girls. But uh, it's nine ninety nine, so apparently it is uh, completely worth it. 
This one I saw on the list gave me a bit of a pause. It's no tie shoelaces, which really seems like an oxymoron to me. But it, you, you, it, they look like regular shoelaces, and they let you slip your shoes easily on and off uh, and keeps you from having untied shoes. It also teaches you not to tie your shoes. And so I thought that's a little weird that you would use those and especially for kids and never teach them to tie their shoes. That's a life skill that kids need to learn how to do. It's sort of like writing in cursive. You know, kids today have no clue how to write in cursive. And I just wonder, you know, how do you, how do you sleep at night when you don't know some of these basic skills? I, I, I don't understand. Uh, they have things on there like a pumice stone so that you can get off calluses on your feet. That's kind of gross. A pumice stick for your toilet. Uh, I wonder how safe that is, uh, you know, rubbing a stone in your toilet. But uh, apparently it's a thing. I found this one funny, a collapsible whisk. You know, it's hard sometimes to close a drawer in your kitchen with all of the utensils that you have in it. And the whisk, if you own one, is usually the one sticking out because it somehow or other it doesn't go to the bottom, it comes to the top, and you're trying to close this door, and the whisk gets caught, you know, and you have to rearrange the whole cabinet. Well, this is a collapsible whisk, so it collapses flat, uh, but apparently you kind of twist the handle, and boom, there you go. Uh, now it works. Um, there are some other things on the list that, you know, for cleaning and things like that. I did find this one hilarious that I know if I purchased this, nobody in my house would use it except me. And that is a four pack of toothpaste tube squeezers. You put it on the end of the toothpaste and, and it clips on, and it, uh, on the end of the toothpaste tube. And then you just slide it up and it brings all of the toothpaste to the front. So that way you get the most toothpaste out of the tube. Listen, I do this anyway, but I am the only person that does this in my household. Everybody else squeezes at the top and then they wait until there's hardly any left and sometimes they'll squeeze and then sometimes they just throw it away. And it drives me a little crazy. But this is one of those tools that, that my whole family needs to learn how to use. Well, those are just a few of the things that I saw on the list. And, and I just thought to myself, you know, some things that you buy at the store that are under $10 may save you all kinds of time and money and energy and effort. And maybe some of you out there are frustrated about things or you get irritated about little small things. And there's a lot of little tools out there to help you. Being a Christian, I would say, is much the same way. God gives us so many tools that are so simple and easy to use that will save us so much time and energy and effort. And I'll give you an example. A lot of people say, well, I don't know how to study the Bible. You know, we have this new invention called an internet. And on the World Wide Web, there are so many tools to teach people how to study the Bible. Now, some of them you, you need to be careful and learn that some, not all commentary that's out there is really trust the Bible. Some of it shreds the Bible. Some of it will tell you where the Bible is just full of errors, even though it's not, and will tell you not to trust certain passages of Scripture, even though all of the Bible is true, trustworthy, and, and is sufficient to help us in all things. But on the internet, you will find Bible reading plans. They have apps on phones that teach us how and when and, and how much of the Bible to read. If you want to read it chrono chronologically, if you want to read it over the course of a year, if you want to read some Old Testament, some New Testament every day, they'll give you Bible reading plans. There are so many tools available on people's phones and on your computer to help you to learn how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible. There's really no good reason ever for us to say, well, I don't have time or I don't understand the Bible. I don't have time to read it. I, you know, I, and yet we will spend hours a week, hours a day 
on our phones or on our computers looking on Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram and Twitter and all of these social media sites, and we overlook the greatest resource, one of the greatest resources that God has given to believers and and to people everywhere is his word. And we have tools like prayer that are simple and easy to use. Jesus even taught the disciples how to pray. There are in the book of Psalms, you can pray the Psalms. You can almost hear the heartbeat of David and Solomon and the others as they wrote these Psalms. You can almost hear their heart in prayer and you can pray through scripture and pray some of these Psalms. There's so many different tools out there that as a believer are so easy to use and at our fingertips and just God just encouraging us through his spirit to use these and to make the most of these. And I just want to encourage you to use those tools that God makes available in your life and don't overlook them and don't allow your life to get super frustrated for no apparent reason. Well, speaking earlier of Won't You Be My Neighbor and Mr. Rogers and that neighborhood and the feeling of community, I came across an article the other day off of the magazine called The Atlantic. And I've read The Atlantic in the past, and and I had a subscription to it probably 15, 20 years ago for about a year, and I read the magazine and saw some of the articles and and tried to kind of stay up. And and I had a subscription long before the internet was really carrying magazines and covering stories the way that it does now. But the magazine always takes kind of an interesting look at not only popular culture, but some upcoming things and, and just the culture in general and you know, politics and things like that. Well, the Atlantic for, I guess, the last several years uh, primarily has been, or a lot of their content, I should say, is free on their website, theatlantic.com. But this story got popped off the page to me, and I saw this title, which is remarkably well done because the title of the article in and of itself makes it worth reading. The article says they tried, and this is, the, this is the name of the article, they tried to start a church without God. For a while, it worked. Now, the article begins with describing a 40-year-old that moves to New York City and is involved with or identifies with the group of people in the world and, and probably those that are under 40, I would say, that are called nuns, not N-U-N in the sense of nun like in the Catholic Church, but N-O-N-E, nun meaning what is your religious affiliation? On census, on paperwork, on applications of sorts, that question may be asked of people, what is your religious affiliation? And over the last probably 15 to 20 years, the number of nuns, of people that would say, I have no affiliation, I have none to speak of or none that I desire to claim, has grown significantly. And one of the reasons why we see a decline in church attendance is because of death. We are seeing one generation die off and the next generation not replace their parents and or grandparents in the seats in our church because the church is either they their ministry is irrelevant, their church is not impactful, their church is not doing any kind of outreach to the generation that is disconnected from God, disconnected from religion, disconnected from the Bible, and disconnected from Jesus altogether. And so the group of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, those that have zero affiliation and no desire whatsoever to associate with any church, that group has, has grown quite a bit. The article deals with a girl that, a young lady who 
in moving to this big city, decides that she would not only not have any religious affiliation, but she was presented with the possibility of going to a church that was not a church. It was a group that was loosely identified as a church, but it had nothing to do with God. In fact, it, as a growing phenomenon at that time, had more to do with coffee, donuts, music, speaking, fellowship, um, all of the things that a church would do except in the messages and in the community of believers it had far more to do with self-help. It was more about this community of people that in a sense, needed each other, but they really just identified mainly with needing help in life. They, they needed help growing their business. They needed help to have motivation. They needed help to, you know, have a, a, a more ambitious goal in life. And so what became known as secular congregations or atheist churches is sort of another name for it. In 2012, 2013, 2014, these groups really began to ramp up and and people were starting to, I guess, assume that these congregations of sorts would catch on. They would sing songs from the rock group Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer, as sort of an anthem. They would have a high-energy speaker. They would, you know, sing pop songs. Again, it, it was similar to everything you would see in a church except God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Bible just completely sucked out of it. They even withdrew from liberal denominations like the Unitarian Universalism. Those denominations, that that particular one believes everybody's going to get to heaven. Everybody's going to make it. It doesn't. They say it doesn't matter what you do, what you worship, who you believe, you're going to get there. But those that are considered themselves having no affiliation to the Bible or to religion whatsoever were even breaking away from that liberal denomination because even they had religious overtones of sorts. These group, this group of people that the Atlantic article describes are people that want nothing at all to do with God. In fact, when they come to these atheist churches, all they want to do is to be patted on the back. They they want to hear from scientists and artists and academics. They want to hear poems. They want to sing pop songs. They they want to have snacks and uh, interact with people. They they want some kind of a of a sense of this is where I belong. These are my people. However, here we are in 2019. And as much as the group of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, I have to keep spelling that because some of y'all think I'm talking about Catholic nuns, but when that group of non-believers and and people that had no religious affiliation, even though that number has grown over the years, the number of attendees in these atheist churches is on serious decline. These hot new atheist churches and these secular fellowships, although you would think that they really were meeting a need and scratching an itch that people had, they just didn't seem to have what it took to keep people connected. The big show, so to speak, that was taken, that, that, was, that was done every week, it took a lot. And it took a lot of organization, it took a lot of energy, it took a lot of effort, it took money to bring people in. It needed a place, it had uh, donations that were given, although they said, you know, some of these churches, these atheist churches shied away from donations because they, they didn't even want that to look similar to a traditional church. And so they had problems raising funds to get these speakers and 
pop stars and scientists to come and speak for free. And there were other, as the article called it, rifts in the kind of the undertone or the underbelly, so to speak, of these atheist churches. There were people that gathered in these secular churches and these secular fellowships for different reasons. Some wanted to have a charge against religion. Some gathered together because they wanted to debate certain things. Some wanted to celebrate different types of aspects of society. And the other issue was in a larger city, there were just other options. People would go to brunch. People would go do CrossFit. People would go and do biking or they would go sit in the park and hug a tree or pick a flower or whatever. There were so many other things pulling people away from these secular congregations that honestly the need just died. The New York chapter, so to speak, went from 5,000 down to 40. They had a weekly attendance of 5,000 back just a few years ago, and in 2016, in fact. So in three years, they went from 5,000 to 40. 40 people. And this is a idea that was birthed out of the we want church, but we don't want God mentality. And what I found so absolutely fascinating about this group was that even the structure of what they're doing is based on the New Testament church. What they are trying to capture is based on the Bible. The type of training and teaching and motivating that they're trying to offer is done in the church through God's Word and through the Holy Spirit. The fellowship that they're seeking is misguided because these different groups of people are coming together in this secular congregation for hundreds of different reasons rather than people that come into a church come for one reason. They're not even able to, with a straight face and with a clear conscience, ask their attendees to give money to keep this machine going because they realize that, that people will shy away if you're asking them for money. Again, the exact opposite of what God teaches us in his word about the sole reason why we give sacrifices and offerings and give of our financial means back to God and serve. And what I found so fascinating about this secular church is not only all of those things, but the, the why factor. Why would somebody go and seek out fellowship in a group of people of self-help, poets, artists, speakers, musicians, self-help gurus, academic people, and why would they go for fellowship in a wide range of backgrounds like that without one primary single purpose. Listen, this is different from a conference. If you go to an insurance conference or you go to a teacher's convention or you go to, you know, some other kind of, con you're going for one purpose. There's one main unifying thing that gets you in the door. Now, you may come hoping to meet new people, advance your business, uh, have a good time, smile, laugh. I mean, there may be secondary reasons why you come. But you're there primarily for insurance, teaching, uh, sales, uh, whatever the case might be. That's your purpose for being there. That's the way it is in a church. Yes, we have opportunities to make new friends and to serve and to use our spiritual gifts and to offer our, you know, our tithes and offerings back to God and, and, and times of Bible study. But we have one purpose in why we get together as a church, and it's Jesus. 
We come together because the cross of Jesus Christ and his empty tomb brings us together for the life that we have in him. And Jesus is what brings us in, and Jesus is who sends us out into the world to make disciples of all nations. The unifying factor of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the single most important reason why the church exists, to make much of Jesus Christ and to let the world know that Jesus is alive. Whenever you try to have a group, a fellowship, a secular meeting of people together who do not have a unifying vision and a unifying mission that is greater than themselves, that brings that energy, excitement, and unity together the way that the church has in the person of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit and God's given word, you will not last. Think about your family. Think about an organization. If your family or any organization comes together for some other purpose, if that purpose is not bigger than themselves, if it is not all-sustaining, if it is not motivating, and frankly, if it is not eternal, at some point it's going to die. But the church benefits greatly from the value of every single thing that we do. Every time we get together, every song that we sing, every offering that is taken, every sermon that is preached, every Bible study that is offered, we do it for the glory of God, for the advancement of his kingdom, because of Jesus, for Jesus, and by Jesus. I found this article fascinating and extremely sad at the same time. Because I saw the wasted energy, the wasted effort, the wasted money, the wasted time that 5,000 people got together in New York City to call themselves basically an atheist church and accomplish nothing. And now there are a few dozen people out of that 5,000 that gather together in one of the world's largest cities in one of the most influential cities in all of the world. And there are a few dozen that gather together in the same type of structure and function as a New Testament church, and they are doing it all in their own energy, their own power, for their own selfish gain, and they do not want God to be a part of it. Are New Testament churches on the decline? Of course. Do you know why they're on decline? Is because they don't make much of Jesus. Because they don't carry out the gospel. Because when they get together, they want to sing songs that they like, whether they have anything to do with Jesus or not. When they get together, they want sermons to make them feel good and not to challenge them to be holy as God is holy and carry out the Great Commission. Churches are on the decline only because we fail to make Jesus the center point and the center focus of all that we do. If you don't believe that that's true, I'll send you this article. This article is basically, if you took out atheist, if you took out secular, and you took out some of those obvious factors, this would be a descriptive article about a lot of American churches that are trying to do things in their own power for their own values for their own benefit, for their own good, and they just simply don't want God to be a part of it. And those are the kinds of churches that, that good Christian people that want to see God's kingdom advance, the, those are the kind of churches that people leave. And it's the same reason why secular humanists and atheists left this affiliation, left this congregation, because it wasn't doing anything. It didn't have a genuine eternal purpose. It didn't really serve any real need. It told them a few good things. It gave them some good information, but they realized, why do I wake up early? Why do I get dressed and leave the house? Why would I go and sit in a room and sing Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi when I could be in Central Park or having coffee or riding my bike? What 
is the difference? What's the purpose? But my same question is, why would people on a Sunday morning stop doing those some of those same things and go to a New Testament church that preaches the Bible, that sings songs about Jesus, that tells you a message of hope and eternal life and holiness and focuses your life on God and then sends you out into the world to make disciples? Why would people stop doing other, uh, other activities, stop their day, go to a New Testament church and do all of those functions? because of Jesus. The reason that we do what we do as a church is because of Jesus. We do what we do because of him. And what is missing in homes and families and communities in our country, around the world, and sadly even in some churches is the intentional focus on how can I glorify the Savior who died for me? How can I live my life to make much of Jesus Christ? You see, going back to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was not a religious program. It was not a show that was based upon the Bible. He didn't teach Bible values necessarily. But what he did was live out his faith in such a way that people knew that there was something different about him. And when you get to know the man, Fred Rogers, you would get to know Jesus. You see, what a lot of churches are missing is we may have all of the same form and function and even some of the same traditions that a secular, humanist, atheistic church, a gathering may have. But if Jesus is missing in our home and in our church and in our community, it is because he is missing in our heart. It's because we're trying to do something for us, even if we think we're trying to do it for him. We're really doing it just for us. And so I just want to challenge you as, uh, hopefully, as a Christian, as a born-again child of God, I want to encourage you, again, to make it easy for people to see Jesus in you. Make it so painfully obvious when you go to the bank or when you go to Walmart or when you go to work or when you walk around your neighborhood. Make it painfully obvious to people that meet you and talk to you that you know Jesus Christ. In how you treat people and how you talk to people, in posts that you have on Facebook, in, in, in the manner of way that you speak about your next-door neighbor, in how you drive your car. Make it painfully obvious that the Holy Spirit of God is in your life and is leading you and guiding you in all things and in all ways. Because that's really what's missing in the world today. This Atlantic article, again, not only did I find fascinating, but I also found incredibly sad. They try to give psychological reasons. They try to give religious reasons. They try to give some practical reasons why this particular movement of atheist churches didn't work. I'll break it all down for them the same way that I did for you. It all rises and falls with Jesus. And so make sure Jesus is in your home. Make sure Jesus is in your church. Make sure Jesus is in your community by making sure that Jesus is in your heart. If you have any questions about that, my email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. I would love to have a conversation with you and help explain even more in greater detail how the Bible says that we are sinners separated from God, that Jesus died to take our place on the cross, and that by placing our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us, that we can be born again and have eternal life. I would love to share that in great detail with you. I thank you so much for joining me on this program. I am so thankful and blessed to have this opportunity. Grissom Martin Funeral Home helps to make this possible. Adair Drug helps to make this possible. And the sweet folks that I pastor at Columbia Baptist Church make this possible. We would love to have you join us this Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for worship and about 10.20 or 10.30 or so for Bible study. We have something for everybody and would love to have you join us at 201 Greensburg 
Street, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky, right off of the square. Please come and find us and join us for worship. And again, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening and out of your day to join me right here for What's the Word at 101.9 WAIN. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of uh, places you can find this broadcast, you can find messages that I've preached, and I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.